chapter 7, starting in verse 8. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this winter we have been asking the Hebrew prophets to teach us what it means to live justly in our world. And tonight I thought it might be helpful, given everything that's going on, to step back and just ask, what can we learn from the Hebrew prophets about what it means to relate justly towards people from other countries who are living among us? The prophet Zechariah ministered to God's people as they returned from exile and started to rebuild Jerusalem, and he encourages them to renew their relationship with God, avoid the sins that resulted in their exile. And God says to him, a key verse that Justin just or Austin just read, but we're going to come back to it again because it's kind of pivotal to how the prophets think about this. Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Now, there are four groups of people that are often singled out by the prophets as uh, worthy of our compassion. And sometimes these four are referred to as the quartet of the vulnerable. And it might be a good exercise for you to do uh, to think about what words you would put around these four people today. Uh, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. And you'll see that these four types of people come up again and again uh, throughout the prophets. In, in, in the pre-modern agrarian society, these were the four groups of people that had no social power. They lived at a subsistence level. They were just a few days away from starvation, if there was famine. Now, tonight I want to look at uh, that word stranger uh, or sojourner. The Hebrew word is ger, and depending on the Bible that you have, uh, it can be translated foreigner, sojourner, or alien, or immigrant. Uh, pastor and author Tim Keller uh, makes a compelling case in his book, generous justice, that immigrant is actually the best translation for the word, and it appears 92 times in the Old Testament. Of course, this isn't a, a strange idea in the Bible. Many of the biblical characters were immigrants themselves. Abraham, the father of Israel, leaves home, immigrates, immigrants, immigrate, immigrates, whatever the verb is, to Egypt. Uh, Ruth, one of Jesus' great-grandmothers, immigrates to Palestine from Moab. Jesus himself was an immigrant and uh, winds up going to Egypt due to famine and persecution. And the characters in the Bible that immigrate do so for the same reasons people immigrate today, persecution, war, and famine. And so one of the things that you constantly see in the prophets is God speaking 
to Israel about how they're supposed to respond to these people in their midst, because they were always in their midst. And God knew that one of the things that we do uh, when we're in front of somebody who's different than us, who is a stranger, is that it's our natural tendency to not like them and to want to hurt them. So we see uh, commands like this to the prophet Jeremiah. Bob, we're going to keep you busy tonight. There we go. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien. That's that word ger again, immigrant. The fatherless and the widow. He's saying, don't, everybody else is very unhospitable towards these people. Israel, you're different. You're supposed to not hurt them. Well, God's people often did give way to fear and treat the immigrant poorly. And so the, the prophets say that this is one of the reasons why God disciplines Israel. And here's what Ezekiel says about that. The people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and the needy. They've extorted from the sojourner without justice. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation upon them. So God says, look, this is one of the reasons why I'm disciplining you. It's because you've treated the the immigrants so poorly. Malachi, uh, well, rather, let's, let's back up one more. God even says that caring for the immigrant is one of the preconditions for dwelling in the promised land. In the next verse, for if you truly execute justice one with another, if you don't oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I'll let you dwell in this place. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He calls the people to repent. They have come back to the promised land. They've not kept God's ways. And so Malachi warns that judgment again is going to come because they've not cared well for the immigrant. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, let's remember, as we said in our first sermon on this, the prophets are conservative. They're not coming up with new teachings They're covenant mediators. And what that means is they're going back and enforcing the covenant. Remember, God calls Israel out of Egypt, forms them into a people, says, look, the way you're going to witness to my glory and beauty is by the way you treat each other. And I'm going to give you laws to explain how to do that. And so the the prophets are reminding Israel of the laws of the Torah, of the covenant. Uh, Here's the basic teaching, Deuteronomy This is a sermon Moses is giving just before they go back into the promised land. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment for a pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord redeemed you there. Therefore, I command you to do this. Now, that actually is the whole theology of immigration in the Old Testament is right in that verse. It's essentially this. You were foreigners in Egypt. You were immigrants in Egypt. God treated you with compassion. Therefore, you treat immigrants in your country with compassion. That's kind of the whole immigration ethic. 
in the Bible. And there's actually a lot of verses that instruct Israel about this. Immigrants are to be treated fairly in Israel's courts. Judge righteously between a man and his brother or an alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. Immigrants are to be given food in times of hunger. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. I am the Lord. Immigrants are to be given rest on the Sabbath. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. That you're Ox, okay, I I misspelled that. That you're okay, that, that you're okay. If you do that, you'll be okay. No, that's ox, I think. And your donkey may rest. And the son of your servant woman... And the alien may be refreshed. And of course, you, we've probably talked about in the ancient world, the idea of a day off was you didn't have days off. Uh, the Hebrews introduced this idea of the rhythm and the Sabbath and the rest. And so even the alien uh, is supposed to have uh, the Sabbath. Immigrants are to be given a portion of a third-year tithe stored up in the cities. Um, when you finish paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they meet within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I've not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. So God is actually uh, making provision so that they'll have a store to care for uh, the immigrant. When Moses prepares Israel to enter the promised land, he pronounces a curse upon them if they oppress the immigrant. Um, And maybe I didn't put that one in there. Um, But it says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Now, one of the things that that I hope we're understanding as we go through this series on the prophets is that Jesus builds on the teaching of the prophets as he explains his own vision for the kingdom of God. His vision for the kingdom of God, uh, the, the the good news of the kingdom coming, comes out of the teaching of the prophets. And so he builds on this. Uh, The Greek word for hospitality that he uses literally means lover of strangers. Uh, Jesus makes it a point to reach out to other ethnic groups living in his country. He ministers to a Samaritan woman. He tells a parable about a good Samaritan and makes the Samaritan the hero and the model of virtue. The Samaritan would be an immigrant. Um, In Matthew 25, when he talks about what are the things that you look for to show that you truly know the Lord, one of the characteristics of a true disciple is that you visited the stranger and cared for the stranger. Uh, Paul picks up this theme, Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In other words, seek to love strangers. Peter uh, will pick it up again and say, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. In other words, uh, we are all immigrants because we all live in a kingdom that is not our own. Okay, that's a summary of what the Bible says about how we are to practice justice towards uh, the person from another country living among us. Now, let's try to build a little bit of a bridge from the Old Testament world into our world today. 
how are we supposed to care for immigrants today? Let me just offer a, a couple of ideas uh, in no particular order. First of all, we can see immigration as an opportunity to fulfill the Great Commission. Jesus teaches us to take the gospel to all the ethnic groups in the world. And one of the ways Christians have always understood immigration is it is part of God's providence in bringing the nations to us so that we can have a chance to share the good news of the gospel with them. So there is a missional way to think about immigration. Second, when we talk about these things, let's reject a scarcity mentality. One of the arguments against any kind of compassion or justice is often, well, we just don't have enough resources to care for them. And and you hear this a lot. Uh, We don't have enough resources to care for the homeless, to to build them shelters. Uh, We don't have enough resources to care for uh, vulnerable children that that we we don't want. We We can't care for them. We don't want refugees because they will overwhelm our limited resources. Well, Jesus teaches an economics of abundance and not scarcity. And he does that, for example, when he gives the disciples a couple of of, uh, loaves of bread and some fishes and says, go feed the 5,000. And the point being, when you're ministering to needs in the kingdom, you step out in faith and he will provide. Third thought, protest, but don't stop there. One of the great privileges of being an American is that we have opportunities to make our voices known. That's one of the things I love about America. We can march and write letters and uh, and articles and and post things. And we should do this. Uh, It's one of the great privileges of of, of being an American that we can call the church or call the government to govern more justly. We have that right, and we should exercise it. But it's not enough. Um, It's very important to advocate... But remember, the prophets in the Torah call for action on behalf of the immigrant. And I'm not the first to say this. I'm probably repeating it, I'm sure. But you can have a sense that you've actually done something for an immigrant when you liked a post. And and perhaps you did. But what I'd like to suggest is don't kid yourself. That's, That's only part of it. What we're really talking about here is being in relationship with people over a long period of time. And that's really what our hearts have to be open to in this. And if there is a neighbor in your world who is an immigrant, uh, I would suggest that in addition to liking things on Facebook, you go to their house and ask them how you can help and invite them in, and spend time. Someone was talking to me about slacktivism. I hadn't heard that phrase before. But it is is easy to think we're actually doing something um, when we're, we're not. Fourth, let's not be led by fear. You know, as we said, human beings from the dawn of time 
have been afraid of the stranger. It's called xenophobia. But God calls his people to be lover of strangers. That's called philoxenia. It's supposed to be one of the distinctive marks of the people of God. Um, and of course, I'm not, tonight, I hope you hear, I'm not talking about federal immigration policy or anything like that. I'm talking about the biblical teaching on justice for the stranger and what it means at a personal level. We can't be governed by fear. It means that my heart space needs to be opened up to the stranger. Fifth, let's avoid the oppression Olympics. Um, I recently followed a conversation on Twitter where the leader of one group was criticizing the leader of another group because more people supported her group <laughs> than his group. And they were fighting about that and said that it wasn't, wasn't fair. Um, and I think that, again, reflects a scarcity mentality. You know, there's not enough resources to go around. Uh, I need people to pay more attention to my cause. But the prophets teach us, I think, to care for the whole quartet of the vulnerable, uh, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, uh, the orphan. And, and, and certainly in our society, that translates to anyone who is suffering from the most fragile, vulnerable child to the elderly person to the single guy sitting alone in a bar on a Friday night uh, to, to, to the orphan, you know, anybody. And so certainly what we're learning from the prophets is, is a grand vision of caring for the vulnerable that, that goes from the very beginning to the very end, of, very end of life, that we don't just pick a piece of it, that we care about the whole thing. Now, lastly, and, and this is uh, uh, the part of tonight that, that I don't quite know how to say. Um, it instills great confidence in you when I start a paragraph that way. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about love. Um, I, I, I have been troubled by some of the things that have been going on in our country. But what has troubled me more is the way that we as Christians have treated each other as we've argued about what's going on in our country. You know, this is a little church, but we're a diverse church. And we probably reflect the country and that we've got people all over the political spectrum. And so I often think when I prepare a sermon like this, how, how can I be a pastor to everyone in our congregation? How can I preach for everyone in our congregation? How can we stay together in a time like this and not break off into our tribes? Because it would be so much easier to do that. Let me give you two examples um, a friend, you don't know him, doesn't, doesn't go here, but I've known him for many years. A very godly, devout, generous man, very kind and winsome. And uh, I'd heard that he posted something. I, I'm at a place right now where I'm not on Facebook. But I looked it up because I'd, I was kind of surprised by what he posted. And he posted an article uh, that he said he really liked. And it was, it was an essay that was extremely mean-spirited and vindictive towards people who disagreed with him, and in this case happened to be me. And it was really puzzling because I know this man, and if I had dinner with him tonight, he would be generous and kind 
we'd have a good conversation. But somehow on Facebook, the, the filter comes off, and he said some things, or he endorsed someone saying something to me that was very mean and hurtful. And I just thought, I know you. Why would you do that? And then this morning I was researching this message, and uh, Christianity Today is one of the places where I go for a lot of my research. And um, there was a blogger who I very much respect. And one of the things I'm trying to do in, in all of this is find saner voices that are well, just kind of calm and reasonable and kind of not get all caught up. And this is a writer. He's a Baptist pastor. He's somebody I respect a lot. I read him all the time. He's, I thought he's very articulate and thoughtful. And so I, I went to a blog as I was trying to think through how to approach this tonight. And it was a, it was a good essay that he wrote, but he included in the title uh, the word stupid for people who didn't agree with him. Which again, I mean, with probably a whole lot of you and sometimes me. So I, I just thought, I don't get this. This guy just called me stupid. He would never do that if we were standing around after church. So here's, here's what I'm kind of calling us to here. I don't know what's coming down the pike. We don't all agree about it. We will all see these things differently. And the worst thing that could happen is that as we passionately advocate for our cause, we sin relationally against our brother. That would be a a total disaster. So what we have to do is, whatever your cause is, passionately advocate it for it. Even if the person next to you is passionately advocating for the other side of it, fine, that's America, that's what we do. But do it in a way that respects love. So one of the things I want you to think about, and I want to end with two questions here. One is, is there anyone in your life tonight with whom you're estranged or that you've cut yourself off from because you disagree with them about an issue. Or maybe we could say, have you posted something on Facebook in which either you said this or you endorsed someone saying this, something that was not respectful or loving to someone who disagreed with you? And if you did that, you need to repent. That's wrong. You're not helping your cause. Now, here's the second one. We'll end with this. Um, I noticed twice this week that I was getting sick. Uh, had something in my stomach and something in my back. And I asked some folks to pray for that for me earlier. And as they were praying... I think I heard this. I'm often wrong about this, so think I heard would be lowercase. Um, You are, this is what I thought the Lord was saying. Doug, you're carrying around the stress of an entire culture. You're not giving it over to me, and that's why your back hurts and your stomach hurts. 
I've just really been struggling. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm probably more wired into these things than most people, but I just feel this heaviness over the country. And it's not just political. It's about the way that the people of God are treating each other (laughs) in the midst of it. So I I wanted to offer this tonight. We're going to take communion here, and then I'm going to go over by the Wailing Wall, um, ask a couple people to come with me. But I felt better emotionally and physically after I was prayed for tonight. And if you are here tonight and, and you are just really struggling with sort of a weight or a thickness or a heaviness emotionally or perhaps even it's affecting your body like it is mine, I would just like a couple of us to pray for you in front of the wailing wall. Okay? Oh, I had a cool quote. Let me end with this quote. Um, this is from a Hebrew professor. Christianity is a foreigner-loving, immigrant-caring, nation-welcoming, other-centered, and otherness-embracing religion. To fail to cherish this truth is to deny an important theme in Scripture. The prophets called it a denial of faith itself. Let's pray.